Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. Brene Brown tells a story about meeting a man at one of her signings for her The Power of Vulnerability book. He asked her why she never talked about men. He pointed to three women in the room, his wife and his two daughters, and he told her that the worst thing he could ever do in their eyes was to fall off his horse. It was his job to always be strong and invincible for them. And it was actually killing him. And he's actually not alone in this dilemma. Many men are. It is why they suffer greater physical health issues and have a higher rate of suicide. And women want men to be open and vulnerable, but don't really know how to handle it when they fall off their horse. And it's why I'm writing Hero Husband and why my guest, psychologist Dr. Avram Weiss, wrote his book, Hidden in Plain Sight, How Men's Fears of Women Shape Their Intimate Relationships. So Avram, thank you so much for being on the show and talking about what is a timely and not, neither not well understood nor well talked about issue. So I'm really glad that you're here. Thank you. It's good to be here. So one of the things that you say is that many straight men are actually scared of their intimate partners. So what is this fear and where is it coming from? You know, I actually would say it even a little stronger than that. I would say actually most, if not all. Okay. Um, if I were a little more courageous, I would say all. But I, <laughs> in 10 years of uh, researching and talking with men about this, I have yet to meet a straight man who does not in some way identify with the idea of being scared of women. Uh -huh. And typically what happens is when you use words like scared or afraid with men, they instantly take offense uh -huh. because men are not supposed to be afraid of anything. Uh -huh. And so there's usually a very brief period. It's almost never more than 60 seconds <laughs> where, where the man will sort of bow up and uh -huh. get ready to defend himself. And then you can see the realization in their eyes as they sort of go through whatever situations they're imagining. And within a minute, almost without exception, the man will say to me, you know, now that you mentioned it, um, I think I am. Mm -hmm. And where I came to this idea is I, I work with a lot of men and I would keep hearing the same stories again and again. And mostly what men were talking with me about is how unhappy they were in their relationships. Okay. Which is in part attributable to the fact that a lot of men come to therapy because their wives send them. Yes. <laughs> so they would talk about, you know, the litany of complaints they had. And I would, of course, say some version of, have you ever talked with your wife about this? And they gave mm -hmm. me a look that was both horrified and also, like, I had just asked the stupidest question in the world. Mm -hmm. And how could I not understand that it wasn't safe to talk with their wives about that, that they were convinced that talking with their lives would only make things worse? And so I began to understand that they were afraid to talk to their wives. And then I started talking with them, using the word scared, the word afraid, and mm -hmm. sort of understood 
more how universal the phenomena is. So it's, it's hard for people to grasp because it's so contrary to our stereotypes of men. Correct. Uh, and men are not. Go ahead. But it's really interesting that you say this because I have said this before on the show. Um, but my husband, once upon a time, I actually overheard him talking to somebody hmm. and he, he was quote unquote joking, except he wasn't really when he mm-hmm. said he can never win an argument with me because I'm a woman and a therapist. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and I also remember one night you know, he really wanted to talk to me about something. And I broke a couple of my cardinal rules because one of my cardinal rules is never begin a serious conversation after eight o'clock at night. Uh-huh. But, uh-huh. He's, but he started this conversation about 11 o'clock at night. And yeah. I had that statement that I had overheard him in the back of my head. And I'm literally biting my tongue as he is yep. talking to me about this. And it's, it's the hardest conversation. My husband and I have been together for over 36 years. It's the singular wow. hardest conversation we have ever wow. had in our lives. And I just had to shut up because I knew how hard it was for him to even broach this subject with yep. me. And I couldn't yep. do my usual running of the conversation, which, right. you know, but I hear this. I do. I hear this from my clients all the time. It's like, Oh, I can't talk to her about this. She'll get upset. You you know, what's interesting about a lot of interesting things about what you're saying, one of which is that I'm old enough to have come up during the sort of advent of uh, what was called women's liberation movement at that time. Mm -hmm. And, And one of the big things that men were really lectured about was when you're in a meeting, in a mixed meeting with men and women, um, don't talk too much, you know, that it that it's hard for women to find their voice. A colleague of mine mm-hmm. has done a whole body of research on women silencing themselves. Carol Gilligan wrote about how women silence themselves in relationships. And so for decades, we were all focused about how women can't find their voice in relationship. Uh-huh. And here you are telling me a story <laughs> all, after all these years. Guess what? Right. Um, and I've actually been working with the woman who does the research on sign, women sign themselves. And we're going to do something together on it's not just women. Right. Uh, it's men as well. It's a part of the problem that gets created is that because women don't understand. I mean, how could women understand that men are scared? Because right. the last thing we would ever want to do is let you know. Mm-hmm. So, so then they interpret a lot of men's behavior as they misinterpret. Uh-huh. They think that men are being engaged in a power struggle or they're withholding or they're being punishing. And when you begin to understand the fears that underlie those choices, then you have an entirely different understanding of a man that you're in relationship with. Well, and it's really interesting that you point this out because a really good friend of mine, um, I, my husband and I have known him almost, almost as long as we've known each other. Um, and he does he does these thoughts for Thursday. And he did this whole series on John Gottman's Four Horsemen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and he was talking about stonewalling. And I went, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Um, because a lot of times men are accused of being stone are, of stonewalling. And that's not really what they're doing. They just they they can't think as quickly on their feet they yeah. don't necessarily know what they're feeling, so they hesitate yeah. to open their mouths, and then they're accused of stonewalling. I'm going, no, it's not the same thing. 
No, but it is stonewalling, but you're absolutely right that it's coming from a different. So just think about the phrase stonewalling. Mm -hmm. Stonewall. Mm -hmm. What is the purpose? What would what would be the circumstances under which you would build a stone wall? You're trying to protect yourself. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And and, and so, I yeah, think the stone the stonewalling is what people do when they don't have confidence that they can hold their own in any other way. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I know that this is a really hard thing for a lot of women to to grasp <laughs> you know and and i and 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 we're going to talk about this in fact actually let's just go right ahead and talk about what some of these fears are and you actually mention some that act a couple of them that actually seem connected yeah. to me and actually might be right along the lines of what we're talking about this fear of mm-hmm. being dominated and controlled yes or and or this fear of being entrapped by women so yes. what are those fears about? Yeah. Well, let me take them separately because okay. they're, they're overlapping with different. Mm-hmm. Um, so dominated and controlled. One of the first phrases in the book, I hope this is not a problem with the censors, is pussy whipped. Right. Which is a fascinating expression. <laughs> so it's fascinating to me that one of the worst things that one man can say to another is that he's pussy whipped, mm-hmm. which means what? Well, on first blush, it appears to mean that you're controlled by a woman. Correct. But what it really means is you're controlled. What a, what part of woman mm-hmm. are you controlled by? You're controlled by your need of a woman. Mm. And so what's interesting is when you call someone pussy whipped, when men talk about women being controlling, they refer to them sometimes as they'll say that the woman is emasculating uh-huh. or a ball buster. Mm-hmm. And what they're intuitively putting their finger on is the relationship in our culture for men where self-reliance is so highly valued for men that to need anyone is considered emasculated, less than fully masculine. And mm-hmm. the worst offense would be, of course, to need a woman. And so the primary way that you know that men are afraid of being dominated and controlled by women is by how often they insist they're not dominated and controlled by women, that they wear the pants in the family, uh-huh. all those expressions that let you know how concerned men are. So that people are doing a lot of work now about a concept called fragile masculinity. Okay. And the idea behind it is that women are women at birth and remain women and don't have to worry about their their being a woman. Whereas masculinity for men is not something that's a birthright. It's something that men are expected to earn and then defend for their entire lives. So that masculinity for men is fragile and tentative and always subject to revocation so that men always have this sense that if they're not independent, they're not strong, they're not self-reliant, that they are not men. Wow. There was was an interesting quote in an article written by a woman in uh, Muscle and Fitness magazine, and she's cautioning men about letting, not letting women control them. And these are the examples she gave. These are the cautions she gave to men. For examples, don't let women straighten your hair 
Don't let women make suggestions about your clothing or ask you to hold their purse while shopping. Now, that verges on paranoid. Yeah. The the level of self-reliance, the level of fear that you'd be so scared to lose your masculinity if you let a woman adjust your collar or (laughs) suggest a shirt you wear gives an idea of how fragile that sense of masculinity is. Because she was saying this in all seriousness. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. No, no, this was an article by a woman written to men, how to make sure you're not dominated and controlled by women. Wow. I I just, I don't even know what to say to that. (laughs) (laughs) What you want to say is you you hope nobody you love is getting dating advice from this woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is like, okay, don't don't let people who don't know anything about relationships give you relationship advice. Um, (laughs) So what about the second one about. um, Sure. Entrapped. Entrapped. So I use the word entrapped rather than trapped, because I think entrapped implies that the person doing the trapping is doing it intentionally. So I think that men are taught that women are trying to trap them and trap them. Mm hmm primarily into marriage. And this is where you have all of the cliches about women trying to, you know, why would a man buy the cow if he can get the milk for free? Uh All that stuff that are based on an entirely false premise that women want to marry and men don't because marriage is better for women than men. But in fact, if you Which look actually at the not research, that research doesn't show that, but okay. It's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. Married men are healthier, wealthier, and happier than single men. Mm-hmm. And single women are healthier, wealthier, and happier than married women. And what's happening recently in the last few decades with the whole, you know, what's happening in working class and middle class communities is mm-hmm. that uh, there's not much of an incentive any longer for women to marry. There used to be a pretty strong financial incentive for women to marry. But in working class and middle class communities, that's no longer true. And more and more, you have women who are not interested in marriage. Right. So there's less choices to be worried about being entrapped by because not as many women are interested to start with. Well, which is really interesting because because, of course, that that just looks at. I mean, yes, I do realize that in the original, you know, when when marriage first came into being the. I mean, mm-hmm. people have always paired off. I mean, there's that's always been a thing. Yes. And it, yes. and and marriage used to only be available to the upper classes anyway, the actual right of marriage, because it really was about property, both the woman being Absolutely. a property yes. and no and, question. And her being, you know, because women weren't allowed in the workforce. I mean Certain women yeah. weren't allowed in the workforce. The, the, the people, you know, the, the women out on farms have all, have always been working. Sure. <laughs> you know, but sure. OK, sure. but, you know, this idea that, you know, y- you couldn't earn a living, ergo, you had to be married to somebody so that you didn't starve. Um, but and again, that's you know, that's what ha- has happened with the right. breaking of these bonds for women but yes. it also means that that they, that there's no other value for marriage other than financial, which is part of my language crap. Well, <laughs> okay. for, for women, for women, because they were healthier, wealthier, and happier before they married. Right. So there's got to be if there's not a financial incentive, you know, marriage has to change in a way that makes it more attractive to women. 
Yes, and 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 I'd also and I'd also argue that also it needs to be made more attractive for men because if men are only seen as a paycheck, yes, I mean, which even which even today, and I think this is one of the issues that we're dealing with in society, is that many women, at least on the upper end, are making more money than their yeah. partners, and that creates a whole. Another thing, because when when men have been told their value is in what they you know, is, is as a provider and we use the provider in a very narrow sense mm-hmm. as, as a financial mm-hmm. provider, as opposed to an emotional provider or yeah. whatever else. Yes, we're really we're we're <laughs> we're really doing a number on men. Well, men talk a good game about not wanting to be married, but but look a little closer and you see, you know, we all know that when men and women divorce, that men remarry much faster than Uh women do. Uh So I think men are more dependent on relationships than they like to let on. And, and I think we can see that in some ways men need marriage more than women. They just don't like to acknowledge it. (laughs) Okay. Um, So we'll continue along with that in just a minute, but I need to remind the listeners that this is happily ever after is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm talking with psychologist and author, Dr. Avram Weiss, about what's going on with a lot of men regarding their intimate relationships and what positive things can be done to invite men into healthier behaviors. So the truth is that blaming either partner for the breakdown in a marriage is both incorrect and unproductive. Both people are doing things that make the relationship harder, and neither partner should be afraid of the other, either physically or emotionally. And if this is going on in your marriage, I invite you to take action to address it. Um, Please give me a call or shoot me an email and take advantage of my free, no obligation, five-star relationship checkup. Um, You can reach me by email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-I-T-I-O-N-S. Coaching N is in Nancy, C is in Charlie.com, or you can reach me by phone at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. I want to get back to this conversation about men and their fear of women. And I wanted to ask about two fears that you mentioned that I've actually personally run into with my clients. Mm-hmm. The fear of being responsible for women and the fear of being inadequate. And that second one is really big. So how do these show up? Sure. Um, the, to separate the two in this way. So in the book, I talk about seven fears of men and they're listed in order from those that are more conscious, uh-huh. meaning that women might actually know about them because they're more socially acceptable. Like uh-huh. the fear of being dominated is very much a part of the culture. People know about that. Uh, when we get to feeling the fear of protecting and providing for women and particularly the fear of being inadequate, these are fears that are more unconscious and largely unknown to women. Okay. So the fear of failing to provide and protect for women is really what you were just talking about, that men are socialized to equate their worth, not with their person, but with their production. Uh-huh. And so this is why if you look at Gottman's work, it's not Gottman, uh, who's the author of the love languages. If you look at the work on love languages, men's preferred love language is acts of service. Oh, okay. Boys grow, up, boys grow up watching their fathers 
express their caring for their mother in acts of service. Now, it's not really what women want, but women learn from their mothers to not think a lot about men's in relationship, about men in relationships, and to settle for acts of service in the place of what they really want, which is an emotional connection and a sense of partnership. Okay. So if men are responsible for women's emotional well-being, that means that any time that you're upset uh-huh. or look like you might be dissatisfied with something we've done, that uh-huh. we've failed in our role as men. Again, going back to the idea of fragile masculinity, we're always on trial uh-huh. and subject to failure at any point. And so if I get you the wrong gift or I bring you coffee in bed and you're kind of blasé in your response, or even I just walk in the house and you had a bad day, that's my fault. That's my responsibility. I failed mm-hmm. as a man. And it, it gives you a window into the really deep-seated sense of insecurity that so many, if I am only what I do for others, mm-hmm. then what am I outside of the value that I bring to other people? If I weren't earning a good paycheck or I weren't doing these things for you, and we get deeper still, we get to the fear of being abandoned. So I'll talk about inadequacy, but the fear beneath inadequacy is the fear of being abandoned. Wow. Well, you know, so, and it's and it's really interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of times, I mean, the usually the first question that I ask somebody who wants, you know, he, who, who is either going to work with me or is t- thinking about working with me is what is it that you want? And Nine out of 10 times, their answer is, I want my wife to be happy. And I went, oh, exactly. that's a great goal, but you don't have, but, but you can't do that. <laughs> well, I think if they, if they were a little more in touch with themselves, what most men, if they said it a little more, more articulately, they would say, I want my wife to not be unhappy with me. Correct. I want my wife to not be dissatisfied with me. Right. And, and, and mostly dissatisfied with them because I mean, one of the, you know, because yes. they, you know, most of the guys, and I say this, you know, they're, they're doing what they know how to do. They're doing what they're taught. Yes, and they always, right. and no matter, no matter how much they give, I, I talk about that their wives keep moving the goalposts on them. That's right. That's you exactly know? right. And that's what men talk about all the time. Yeah. It's a rigged game. You yeah. can't win. Bottomless, <laughs> bottomless pit. Doesn't matter how much, but it doesn't occur to them that it's a failed paradigm. Mm. that it doesn't matter how many acts of service they perform, Mm -hmm. that it's never going to be satisfying because it's not really what their wives are looking for. And so you get this whole escalating pattern of conflict where when men's acts of service don't produce the results they hope for, they begin to withdraw, which Mm -hmm. of course escalates their wife's level of distress, which increases their level of withdrawal and we're off to the races. Right. It's just a vicious cycle. So what is the best way to address these fears, both for the men who are actually feeling that fear and also for their partners who, you know? Yeah. No, I think there are some specific things that, that men and women can do. Okay. Um, I think for men, it is very, I, I really go out of my way when I'm working with a man, when I'm talking to a man, to use the word scared or frightened. Okay. Because it's, it's a jolting experience for men and it sort of gets them thinking about the possibility that what they've been experiencing, which they probably would say is anger, Mm -hmm. um, 
may actually be fear. So that's a huge first step is really sort of acknowledging to yourself that you are afraid. Okay. Um, The next step is for men is a tough one, which is for men, the primary go-to defense is withdrawal. Correct. And the problem is that it's a defense that's not only not helpful, it typically makes things much worse. So men have to learn to not reflexively lean back in the face of conflict and misunderstanding, but learn how to have the ability to lean in in conflict and misunderstanding. And the way to do that means that men have to learn how to be, A, better at soothing themselves, okay. and B, learn how to make connections with other men. And so ah. there is a chapter in the book for men about um, setting up support groups with each other to read the book and to set up an ongoing men's support group to talk with each other. And then there's a Facebook page for men mm-hmm. who want to talk about these issues and communicate with each other um, about these challenges. And they, people can find, if you just go to Facebook and put in men's fears of women, you'll find that Facebook page for any man who wants to talk with other men about these issues. Right. Um, so what is it that women really need to understand here? Women need to, I'm actually going to give you a great quote from a woman, uh, which says really the whole, everything that they need to know. <laughs> okay. um, this, this woman said, I understand that my husband has not been ignoring, dismissing or hurting me out of a lack of respect, as I assumed, mm. but that he's scared scared to hurt me, to mess up with me, to not be enough. I had honestly never imagined that he was scared and that I was so profoundly important to him and that he was constantly terrified I would leave him. So when when women understand men's fears, you know, if you're a mom and you're dealing with a scared child, you don't push them. You Mm -hmm. don't escalate. Mm-hmm. You don't yell at them right? because you know that he's just going to back off further. And so women, just like men, have to learn how to find the support to give up the defensive withdrawal. Women have to find similar support to give up the defense of criticism and to learn how to talk with their partners mm-hmm. relationally, to talk with them with the recognition that they're scared and to talk with them in ways that are less threatening the way you would with a friend or anybody else who you know is terrified. Right. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because I, I will say this to a lot of people. It's like the, the care that we give to our children and our friends frequently does not show up in the way we interact yeah. with our spouses, yeah. which to me is yeah. just like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> You're saving the best. Right. Exactly. Let, let me give you if we have time, let me give you sort of walk you through an example of a couple, which I think. Okay will help people understand these things in a very concrete way. The couple's Mark and Barbara. They're involved in a long-term committed relationship. Um, Sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Uh, And they're having an argument. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the argument follows the classic pattern, which is known in the research as wife demands, husband withdraws. Correct. Men are socialized, as we've talked about, to express caring through acts of service. Women are socialized to accept that, even though it's not exactly what they want. Okay. 
So this works pretty well for most couples for a long time. It's really actually a pretty stable pattern that allows both people to give and receive love. And it works as long as women feel sufficiently loved by the acts of service they're receiving and there's not enough conflict to activate men's fears of feeling inadequate or abandoned. Okay. Now, conflict in most relationships is most likely to surface with the woman first. Yes. And women get a bad rap for this. And we label them as being complaining and nags and things like that. But it makes sense that the conflict surfaces with women first, the dissatisfaction, because it's a raw deal for women. Women are getting less of what they want in this compromise than men are. So women learn to make their complaints to men in very concrete behavioral form. You don't help around the house. You're not involved enough with the kids. We don't spend enough quality time together because they know if they let any sign of being dissatisfied with the relationship or unhappy, it'll trigger men's sense of inadequacy. But no matter how careful Mary is, any approach to get closer to Bob is likely to be experienced by him, not as an invitation, Uh but as criticism and an indictment of his failure as a man. Uh For Bob, Bob can see that Mary's upset. I changed the names. I'm sorry. Bob and Mary now. Okay. (laughs) Uh, He can see that Mary's upset and he cares about Mary and he'd like to feel compassionately towards her, but something that he doesn't understand gets in the way. And his reaction is every time Mary has strong feelings, he gets uncomfortable mm-hmm. and the more uncomfortable get, the more he withdraws. Because Bob hides his fears so well, Mary has no idea how scared he is. She interprets his withdrawal as a power struggle and an effort to control her. Now, from a traditional perspective, we might understand Bob's withdrawal as a part of a larger effort to control Mary and to maintain his privilege in the relationship. But what that fails to understand is that what Bob is mostly trying to manage is not Mary, but his own fears. Yep. He's afraid of disappointing Mary and being judged as inadequate. He's afraid of Mary's strong feelings. And he's afraid deep down of being abandoned by Mary. So I think that's a familiar example for people and how it plays out in real life in many couples. And yeah, I mean, and as you're describing this, I'm, I have couple after couple, man after man right. go, you know, that I've worked with going through my head around this because, yeah. you know, it's, um, I was having, I had another guest on a little while ago. We were talking about the way both, both parties have, have been, um, <sighs> trained to deal or more importantly, not deal productively with their emotions. And, you know, there's, there's, there's one set of challenges for women and another set of challenges for men. Um, But I, you know, but I, I think if we could all just kind of understand that there's a lot that's going on here that we don't understand about ourselves. Our partners don't understand about themselves. We don't understand about each other. I mean, you know, just add on and add on and add on. Of of course there is. I'm I'm always so amused when couples say to me, we're we're having problems in our marriage because we're so different. And then they'll give (laughs) me an example, like he likes football and I like ballet. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're a woman and he's a man. And you think sports and ballet is the biggest difference in your relationship? (laughs) 
that is the biggest difference than any heterosexual couple has to communicate across. Right. I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, and, and I always start out with the biggest challenge to a relationship is that you are now always have been always will be different people. Now, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, right. this, this idea, I mean, and, and, and we, and because we've been socialized and a lot of people, you know, don't see this, but you know, there's, there's socialization that goes on that, that all of us are caught up in. We all experience it slightly differently, but it's, it's, it's the same system we're all trying to function in. And it's, it's sort of like that whole idea that fish don't know they're in water. That's <laughs> right. Well, it's, and it's particularly complicated. And this is where it gets tricky um, is that um, really what we're talking about are the ways in which the patriarchy is harmful to men as well as women. Yes. And, and that can raise a lot of hackles to talk about. But there's a lovely quote from Martin Luther King, who said that segregation scars the soul of the perpetrated perpetrator as much as the victim. Right. And this is, you know, and because we can only see the world through our own eyes, it's very difficult to go, oh, this other person over here who's doing this thing that is really upsetting to me isn't doing it to harm me. They're doing right. it because that's what they've learned and they don't know any different. And this yeah. goes back to how we would deal with a child versus how we're dealing with what appears to us to be a full grown human being. That's right. When right. emotionally, where many of yeah. us are not. So you can see how helpful it is for couples when women recognize that they're caught in the same mess together with their partners. When women and men together realize that they're caught in the same mess together, then instead of it being me against you, hopefully it becomes how are we going to get through this? Yes. And then you're in a whole different game. Everything changes. Right. And that's what I always try to, you know, that you're, you're part of your know, marriage to me is the ultimate team sport. So, <laughs> so um, Avram, thank you so much for, for this wonderful information. And I could continue to talk to you forever um, because I find this such a fascinating topic. But can you tell the listeners where they can learn more about this? Um, the book's available on Amazon. It's hidden in plain sight. Um, how men's fears of women shape their intimate relationships. And then the Facebook page for the book is you just go to Facebook and look up men's fears of women. You'll find the page and I post content uh, there and men are invited to post questions that I will respond to either about the book or about the relationships or anything. And hopefully uh, men will start to set up support groups around this theme and be talking to each other on the page as time goes on. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much. And my pleasure. It's good talking with you. My premise has always been that most men are good guys who love their wives and families. And much of what they hear from others doesn't support that. But if yeah. intimate relationships are to be successful, men need to be included more completely in them. So the question that I have is what needs to happen in your marriage? for this to occur. And hopefully one of the things you'll keep doing is listening to this show and guests like I have on today. And until next week, stay loving.